0: Okay, well, it's really good to be back with you again. Um, There are rather more of you here than there were last time I came, which is great. It's very encouraging. And it's good to see you. So, we're going to carry on in your um, series that you've been doing in the Beatitudes. And we're looking today at Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it's Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, if you want it open in front of you. Um, I didn't ask for that to be read, because I guess you've had this passage read several times in the last few weeks. Uh, so we read Psalm 24, which sort of ties in with it, because it talks about um, those who have a pure heart, clean hands and a pure heart, being able to ascend the hill of the Lord, uh, which in effect means being able to see God, really, to come face to face with God, which is what Jesus is saying here in this verse. Uh, I'm coming into this um, series that you're having about three-quarters of the way through, um, so I've got to dive straight in, really, uh, but I thought I'd give you my thoughts to begin with, um, on uh, what Jesus is uh, doing in this whole um, section. Uh, Maybe you've had an introduction before. I guess you probably have, some some of the other speakers. Uh, Maybe I'll be saying the same things again. I'm sorry if that's true, uh, but maybe there'll be one or two new things as well here. So just a brief introduction, really, to the Beatitudes to begin with. Just three things, three points um, about them. And the first of all, um, the first, the, these characteristics which Jesus is, is identifying here are to do with kingdom living for all disciples. Kingdom living for all disciples. In other words, each of these Beatitudes, each of these phrases which Jesus speaks to his disciples, he's speaking to his disciples here, um, are for all Christians, all disciples. We are all called to be poor in spirit, meek, merciful, pure in heart, and so on. And similarly, the blessings which Jesus uh, calls upon us here are for all Christians. Now, of course, some uh, may exhibit uh, some of these characteristics uh, more than others, as God gives, um, but they are all aspirations for all of us as Christians. We should all be looking towards being these things from God. All of us. So it's no good saying, well, I'm a peacemaker, for instance, so I don't have to worry about being pure in heart. You know, that's not my, my thing. Um, it may be that it should be your thing, it should be your thing more, because that's not your particular gift, perhaps. Um, so we should all be looking at these blessings, these characteristics, and saying, well, where, where do I need to seek the Lord more uh, on each one of these? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that these are blessings which is fairly obvious, isn't it, from what Jesus says. We are going to be blessed if we um, exhibit these characteristics. But it's important to point this out. They are blessings, which are gifts from God. It's by God's grace alone that we can grow in these characteristics. They're not natural. They don't come naturally to us. They're not our natural way of living. In fact, all of these characteristics are entirely unnatural, really, to the natural human being. You see what I'm saying there? They don't come naturally. They grow in us as we allow the grace of God to move in our lives and to invade us more and more. Someone once wrote that we're saved by grace. We all hopefully know that. But we also live by grace as well. We can only live uh, in the way that God wants us to live as his grace works in us. We cannot please God unless we allow his grace to take over every part of our lives, which is what these Beatitudes are about, really. Allowing God to grow his life in us, to grow the life of Jesus in us through his grace. And then just the third point of introduction. These blessings are both for now and for hereafter, for the life to come. In other words, we can begin to experience these blessings now, as we submit to God working in our lives, but we will not experience their fulfilment until we get to glory or until Jesus comes. Each of these beatitudes, as we call them, has a, a will, either implied or explicitly spoken. And the will is both for the future, if you are like this, this will happen in the future, but they're also what we call purposive. In other words, if you are like this, then you will do this. So it's a promise of scripture that we will see God if we are uh, pure in heart, but it's also something that will happen in our lives if God produces his purity in our hearts. It's a result of what we are like, of what God does in us. In the book of Hebrews, Moses is described as when he left Egypt, as persevering through the wilderness because he saw him who is invisible. He saw, in effect, God. Something happened in his life, his experience of God, meant that he could see God more effectively, more clearly. That was a working out in his life of his experience of God, something that was happening in the here and now, which is what these are talking about. So let's move on then and look at um, this verse in detail. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the first thing that we can say about it is that this is an inward quality. It's talking about our hearts, the core of our beings, where our real personality is, our own selves, who we are in our deepest personhood. If you could strip away all the externals of our lives, the front we put on to our colleagues, the smiley face we put on in church, dare I say it, even the person we present to our closest loved ones, our spouses, our families. If we could peel all that back and look deep inside, what would we see? In fact, what does God see as he looks deep into our hearts? Well, what he wants to see, according to this verse, is purity. He wants to see purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, I think purity has two distinct meanings here, and they're both important, both vital, in fact. And the first that we're looking at is moral purity, moral purity. Later on in this chapter, Jesus will speak about what's in our hearts, And how it leads on to how we act. He talks about hatred leading on to murder. He talks about lust leading on to adultery. And so it's important that we consider what's in our hearts and make sure that it's pure because what's in our hearts controls and affects how we live our lives, what comes out on the outside. And in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples that it's what comes out of our hearts which makes us unclean as human beings. And he gives a list of things which are in our hearts which make us unclean. And it's not a pleasant list to read. I'll read it to you. It's evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus is saying these things are already in our hearts because we are sinful human beings. and They're in our hearts before they ever get to acts outside which express what they are. Theft, murder, adultery, whatever it is. So it's vital that our hearts are cleansed. Otherwise, any attempt at improving our behavior is doomed to failure because our hearts are still full of these things as sinful human beings. Now, we may think that our thought life is our own private affair, and so it is. We don't have to share our thoughts with anybody else. and A lot of the time, we don't want to. I I told you that I lead the Christianity Explored course, and one of the... um, uh, uh, in one of the, the, uh, the studies that we do, we, we look through Mark's Gospel, um, the, the, the speaker um, imagines that all of our inward lives is thrown up onto a screen for everyone to see. Everything we've ever thought, done, or said is thrown up into a public gallery uh, for everyone to see. And he says there may be things there that we'd be very proud of. There may be uh, our loving, loving relationships, a good family life, uh, a successful career perhaps. But he says if we're honest with ourselves, there will be lots of things thrown up onto that screen which we would actually hate being there. We just wouldn't want other people to see. So our thought life, we may think it's private. and We don't want others to see it. But it is God's primary concern. God is interested in it. And of course, God knows it before we ever... Um, think about it ourselves or even share it with other people, God knows what's in our deepest hearts. And it is his primary concern because it's our thoughts that lead to our actions. What we think directs how we live. And looking on the other side, Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, tells us to think about good things, not these evil things which Jesus says is in our hearts, He says we should think about whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, a good report. Think about these things, says Paul. And it's not so easy, is it? It's not so easy because of the things that Jesus says are already in our hearts because of our sinful nature. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to direct and cleanse our thoughts. Now, King David, who wrote Psalm 24 that we've just read, was called a man after God's own heart. Yet he was a deeply flawed man. And he had one great disaster in his life, which affected his life and his family's life for years to come. He let an impure thought take root in his heart. He allowed it to grow in his heart. He lusted after a woman. He committed adultery with her, and then he had her husband killed so that he could have her. And when he'd been found out, because the prophet went to to tell him what he'd done, he did two things. He repented first, and then he asked God for a pure heart. In Psalm 51, he prayed, Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He realized his heart needed to be purified, cleansed. In Proverbs, there is a verse which says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. Do we give thought to our ways? Do we... Ask God to cleanse our thoughts. Are there things in your thought life, in my thought life, that need cleansing and purifying before they lead on to actions which we will later regret? Of course, we can't stop thoughts popping into our head. They just do, from the environment around us, what's going on in our lives. But we can decide what we're going to allow our thoughts to dwell on, what we're going to allow to grow there. So, what will you think about in the coming days, in the coming week? Will it be how much you want the latest gadget? Will it be how you wish you had the job your neighbour had, or his car, or his house, or her clothes, shoes, whatever it might be? Or will there be darker thoughts there of hatred and lust which you've allowed to take root there? Or will it be how much you appreciate your spouse, how lovely the people at church are and how wonderful it is to have friends like that, how wonderful the grace of God is in rescuing you and saving you and how magnificent his creation is, especially at this time when we go on holidays perhaps and see God's creation in a new light. In other words, will it be good thoughts or bad thoughts that you allow to grow and take root in your life, in your heart? When we become Christians, a radical change has to take place. The whole direction of our inner beings has to change. The Bible calls it a new creation. We are literally remade from the inside. And people may notice some outer changes. They may notice a cleanup in our language, they may notice a change in our social habits, all sorts of things. But these outward actions can only happen if there's been radical surgery on our hearts, a radical change in our hearts. If that hasn't happened, then any outward change will be like a New Year's resolution. It'll fizzle out after a day or two because there's nothing changed inside. So, how far has the doctor got with your heart? with the surgery required? Is it time for more surgery on your heart? God is very gracious, you know. He loves you. He loves me, despite what we're like, despite what's on the inside. He loves us so very much. We know that because he sent Jesus to die on the cross, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to accept us into his family. And he's waiting to make further inroads into our hearts This beatitude says that if we are pure in heart, we will see God. How much more of God do you want to see? Do you want to see more of him? Do you want a closer relationship with him, a deeper relationship? Then allowing him to purify your heart more is the first step. Allowing him deeper into your heart, into your thought life, into your desires is the first step to having a closer, deeper relationship with With the living God. So that's moral purity then, cleanliness of our hearts. Now, the second type of purity, which I think is included in this, is single mindedness. It's a sort of purity which gold has when all the impurities have been purged away, the dross has been taken off. It's a single minded attitude, a pure attitude. James wrote in his letter, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, there's that idea again of coming face to face with God. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, James is speaking to Christians there, but he's saying you need your hearts purified so that you're not double-minded anymore. You're single-minded. You know where you're going. Your direction is towards God loving him and serving him. This sort of purity is the sort that sets our hearts on one thing only, and that is pleasing God. And James wrote that verse in the context of loving either God or the world around us. In other words, being single-minded in serving God rather than the pressures from the society and the life around us, which crowd in all the time upon us. And James said that you cannot love God and the world at the same time. In fact, he put it more strongly than that. He said that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Now, that's a strong thing to say, because we're in this world, we live in this world in all sorts of different ways. We rub shoulders with people outside, uh, that some of them are friends, many of them are our family. We had a big family do in our house uh, at the weekend, and... Uh, I have some of my brothers and sisters and, and their children came, and they're not Christians. They are people of the world. But I love them, we love them, and, and we're, you know, we're in that family. But you know, they have an influence on us from the outside. One of the greatest temptations that we face as Christians is to compromise with the world all the time to do a deal with the world outside, to make life easier for ourselves. And the Israelites, throughout their history in the Old Testament, constantly fell into this trap of compromising with the world. And it led them into idolatry, to worshipping the gods of the nations around them, to even to incorporating those gods into their own worship of Yahweh. And ultimately, it incurred God's judgment upon them, and they went into exile, into Babylon. Now, what God effectively did there was to take them out of their um, environment in the promised land, which was God's place for them, and put them back in the world. He said, you want to be in the world? Well, that's where you're going to go then. And he sent them to Babylon, back into the world. And they suffered there for 70 years. God calls his people, he calls us, to be single-minded. The single-minded commitment to him When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And he said, It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And some versions add all your strength as well. In other words, every part of your being should be devoted to loving God. Key word, there is all. All. It's single-minded devotion to God. Everything about us, should be geared towards loving, serving, and pleasing God. We're back where we started here, right at the beginning. There can be no hint of hypocrisy, you know, putting a face up. Really. One face for the world, and one face for God. We need to be like the tin of Ron Seal in the advert, don't we? We do exactly what it says on the outside. We say we follow Christ, then we must follow Christ and obey him. We say we love God, then we cannot also love the world. We must love God wholeheartedly. And we have to ask, does this characterize us as Christians, as followers of Jesus? Can people trust us to be who we say we are? Or do they sense that underneath the surface there's somebody else lurking, somebody who's not quite so nice as the face we put on? somebody not quite so kind, not quite so understanding. Well, I hope that God is doing that work in you so that you are single-minded for him. We read Psalm 24 earlier, and David, King David wrote that psalm, and in it he asked the question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who can possibly stand in the presence of, of an almighty, holy, creator God? What human being can possibly ascend the hill of God, can stand before the face of God, a holy, pure God, and survive? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And the answer David gives is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. This is a person who is wholeheartedly Devoted to God and to the truth, to loving God and to purity of life. Such a one, says David, can stand in God's presence. When the Israelites were about to take possession of the promised land, Joshua, their leader, challenged them. He said, Who today will you choose to serve? Choose today who you'll serve. And he declared, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if we have decided to serve the Lord and follow Him, then we cannot serve anyone or anything else. God may have to begin to remove some idols from our lives if we want to serve Him wholeheartedly. Maybe there are distractions in our lives, in the sort of books we read, the programs we watch, the websites we visit. These are distractions which can lead to some form of idolatry, some form of putting something else in the place of God in our lives. Wholeheartedness to the Lord often means challenging some of the things that are in our lives, some of the things that we are devoted to. When Jesus restored Peter on the beach after his denial, remember Jesus asked him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? He was getting Peter to make sure that his love for Jesus was coming before everything else, before what the people around that fire in the courtyard thought of him. Do you love me, Peter? It's worth the rejection that you might have received from the world loving him. Do you love the Lord? Do you love him enough to put him above your wants and desires, your comfort and pleasure, even your friends and relationships? When I was first going out with my now wife, Jane, uh, many, many, many years ago, God challenged me. I was in love, young and in love. And God challenged me, and he said to me, would you be prepared to give this relationship up for me? And I had to make a decision, and I had to do something uh, to prove the decision I'd made, and it meant taking a certain course of action, uh, which would mean that the relationship might, I didn't know that it would be, but it might be broken. And I decided that my commitment to God was worth that, and I did it. And I just thank God that he didn't break the relationship. The relationship was stronger afterwards uh, and went on. But God may challenge us to choose ultimately between him and something else. But he will never leave us bereft because he says we'll be blessed. We would be blessed if we serve him wholeheartedly. All the blessings of heaven are ours if we put God first in our lives. So then God is seeking moral purity and he's seeking single-minded devotion in our hearts and lives. And what's the result? Well, it says that such a person will see God. Why is this? Why will we see God if that's the case? Well, it's because God himself is pure and unadulterated, holy. A famous verse in, in Habakkuk. Habakkuk's not such a famous book, but it has a famous verse in it which says of God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. If anyone wants to approach God, to know God, to see him, they must have a pure heart. There's no other way because God cannot tolerate any evil. In the book of Revelation, when Christ was revealed in all his glory, seated on his throne, people, he says the kings of the earth, Uh, The the, the armies of the the world, the people, tried to hide from him. They ran to the rocks and tried to hide in the caves to escape from his burning holiness. But it says that the saints who had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb were able to stand in the presence of God and serve him day and night. And in that sense, everyone will see God one day, but the only question is, will we see him gladly, and look upon his face with joy and gratitude. Or will we try to hide away in shame and fear from him? Now all this sounds like it might be a bit beyond our reach. Uh, you know, how, what can we do about all this? But the good news of the gospel is that when we turn to God and receive his mercy and trust in his grace and ask him for forgiveness through Jesus Christ... Then he gives us a new heart. He does that job for us. He cleanses our hearts. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness and purifies us from all sin. The root of the word for pure in this verse is the word for which we get catharsis, which means a purging, a flushing out of impurities. Has Jesus done that for you? Has he purged your heart, cleansed you, flushed out the impurities? Have you come to him for the first time, repented of your sin and turned to him and received his forgiveness? You know, it's such a great thing, isn't it, when we do that. If you haven't experienced that sense of, of cleanliness, of the Holy Spirit washing through you, flushing out the dirt and the mess that's in our lives, then you need to, you need to come to him and turn to him and receive his, his forgiveness. But are you, if you've already done that, are you allowing the Holy Spirit into your heart more and more to continue that work of purifying and cleansing? It's a lifelong business. You know, we discover things about ourselves, even in old age or approaching old age, that we thought were never there, we didn't even realize were there. And the Holy Spirit pinpoints them and says, look, that is there. We need to cleanse that out, purify it. Let's see about it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, says Jesus. And it's only those who have had their hearts purified by faith in Jesus who are and who are continually walking in step with the Spirit, who will see God as friend and saviour rather than as fearful judge. How clean is your heart? Well, it's as clean as you allow God to make it. And if you come to him in repentance for forgiveness, then it's clean enough for you to face God because Jesus says that. I have made you clean. But is it continually being cleaned? Is it from day to day being cleansed? At the Last Supper, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. He didn't think he needed his feet washed. And Jesus said, unless you're washed, you have no part in me. And Jesus said, if you've had a bath, You don't need another one. You only need your feet washing because they get dirty when you walk around. In other words, if you've come to to Christ for repentance, then you're clean. You're acceptable to God, fully acceptable to God. But you do need your feet washing. You do need cleansing from day to day. You do need your heart purifying. You do need to come to him and seek his face and see what needs cleaning out. So let's do that, shall we? Let's spend one or two minutes just quietly asking God to deal with things in our lives that need dealing with. Let's uh, seek him. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your great grace and mercy. And we pray that you will come and uh, open our hearts up now, both to yourself and to ourselves, to our own selves. If we've never put our trust in you, we pray that you'll help us to do that even right now, just to say sorry for the way in which we've left you out of our lives, tried to live on our own, thought we knew best. Help us to come and accept the free gift that Jesus offers, the gift of forgiveness, of cleanliness of new life, a new heart, a relationship with God. And if we yours, Lord, we just pray humbly that you'll help us to accept what's in our hearts, accept what the Holy Spirit is pointing out to us, and ask you to help us deal with what needs dealing with. Cleanse our hearts, Lord, purify our hearts, that they may be acceptable to you, and that we may have a full and unsullied relationship with you, our Heavenly Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.